Hi, I'm Tim Gillespie, and this is the Crosswalk Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you are one of our regular listeners, we are so glad you choose to journey with us, and we pray every single message inspires you and helps you to become the person God intended you to be, and of course, to love well. If you are already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you have not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that right now. Go to crosswalkvillage.com give and give a one-time gift, or even beyond that, become a recurring giver here at Crosswalk. And you can do that from wherever you're listening from. What is incredible about Crosswalk is that we have givers who don't live here in Southern California or near any of our other campuses, but support the work of Crosswalk from Southern California to the ends of the earth. Thank you for considering this. And now, listen to the message. My hope is you will allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. What's happening, Crosswalk? Morning, everybody. Good to see you. Good to see you. Listen, there's people standing in the back. We'd love you to move in a little bit if you could, um, just to get, make it a little bit easier for those. And may, maybe those, maybe you guys want to stand. It's fine. Um, it's weird, but it's fine. Um, we'd love to have you come in. Everyone doing well? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Isn't that great? I went to the gym on January 1 uh, um, at like 4 o'clock in the morning. I went to the gym the 31st, too just for the record. But I go there at like four o'clock in the morning on the first and uh, the guy behind the counter who's very excited um, at four o'clock in the morning goes, hey, haven't seen you since last year. <laughs> That's not all that funny anytime, but at four o'clock in the morning, I was like, yeah. And then I worked out. Um, well, new year. It's good to be here. Uh, listen, if you want to know what's going on in Crosswalk, kind of around the world, I encourage you to go listen to last week's kind of report. Um, it wasn't so much a sermon. It was much more of a report of kind of the things that are happening. But I thought I'd give you an update. One of our, um, our Lovewell group in Hartford, Connecticut, just had their first meeting in the new venue that they're renting, which is really exciting. They had 11 kids, 25 adults, and they put it all together. And they're really excited about getting going every single week now. So um, if you haven't followed them on Instagram, Instagram, follow, I think it's Lovewell uh, Hartford, Lovewell underscore Hartford. So follow them because they're a great group of people and we're just getting to know them and they're putting together another church. So that's really incredible. A great way to start out the, uh, the new year. And we're talking about a new year and we're talking about new wine. That is the series that we're in called uh, New Wine. Now, I guess the question is why new wine? Now, I don't know if you know this text in scripture, if you've been following along in our series guide, which I highly recommend that you do. Um, if you've been following along, you know that we're going to spend a lot of time in this text. We're going to spend two solid weeks exegeting this text, talking about wine, talking about wineskins. And we'll get to this text, um, but we're going to get to it sort of at the end of this sermon because we have to kind of think about the context in which this shows up in. But the overarching question is, are you interested in following Jesus and receiving the new wine that he has for you? That's kind of the overarching question of this whole thing. And it's a fair question and it's a good question because it's easy for us to be following, thinking that we're following Christ when actually all we're doing is following religion or all we're doing is following uh, a structure that we're used to or all we're doing is living this life that hasn't ever received the new wine. In fact, is sipping off the old wine that we've been given and we've just become so used to it that it seems like 
it's okay. Um, that's kind of the premise of this whole thing. I'm going to um, start, we're going to look at the whole, almost the whole chapter in chapter 5 of the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles and you want to move there, I'll have some stuff up on the screen. But this text about new wine is couched and comes in this chapter, and all of chapter 5 is a new proposition. It begins with the calling of the first disciples, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'm not going to read the whole things, but if you know the story, um, the disciples are are fishing at night. They come in and they don't really have any fish. And Jesus says, why don't you go back out and you're going to catch a bunch of fish this time. And they're professional professional fishermen. And so I don't know why they listen to Jesus, but they're like, okay. So they go back out. They catch so much fish that they need to have a second boat come out to get all the fish. I've always found this story fascinating because these are professionals. This is what they do for a living. And they've just succeeded. So they just came back with all this catch that they've made. And I don't know about you, but if I was a fisherman and I just brought in more of my product than I ever have before, I'm pretty excited about the fact that I am now a wealthy person. Right? I've just succeeded in my particular profession. So they come back and Jesus says, hey, um, why don't you follow me? I've got an idea. And then he says this, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And I got to imagine the disciples, the first ones that he called, were like, huh, okay, what do we do with these fish? And he's, Jesus is like, I don't care, come with me, you're, you're fishers of men now. And they're like, yes, but we just caught all these fish. And he's like, yeah, let it go. See, the call that came to these disciples was in the midst, not of them doing poorly, was actually, it came in the midst of them doing actually quite well. And that's when he asked them to leave. He gave them a new profession, right? Not just a new title, a new profession. You're no longer fishermen, you're now fishers of men. He gave them a new purpose and he gave them a new proposition, right? You're a different person now because I've asked you to follow me. Something new is happening in your life. This changes everything. Nothing's the same anymore. Chapter 5 is a new proposition. The next story that we go to in chapter 5 is the cleansing of the leper. We find it in 5 verses 12 through 18 through 16. Um, and, and this story is a little bit different. This leper comes to Jesus, which we know, you know, it, it it's, goes in the face of all social um, uh, etiquette. Leper's not supposed to be there. Leper comes up. He says to Jesus, listen, I know you're this guy. If you'd be interested in, I'd really like it if you would heal me. And Jesus says, he basically says, if you're willing, will you heal me? And Jesus reaches out and touches him and says, I am willing. And he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Right? Before we saw Jesus giving these people a new profession, a new purpose, a new personal identity. Now we see Jesus reaching out and giving this leper a new intimacy. Something this man probably hadn't been touched in years. Because who would? They wouldn't, they wouldn't want to get leprosy. Jesus reaches out and touches him and says, I'm willing, be healed. And so he heals them. Right? Then he gives them a new instruction after a new intimacy. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering that is required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But he gives them this new instruction. After the new intimacy, he gives them a new instruction and he says, don't tell anyone 
Because this is not about me, but I do want you to go and be made clean in the eyes of society. So go and do what you have to do with the priest, pay the, pay the fee, and, and be claimed clean. Right? That's a, that's a new instruction. That's got to be hard. If you just got cured of cancer, chances are you're going to want to tell someone. He says, don't, I don't need you to do that for me. I just need you to go and make sure that you're clean. But despite Jesus' instructions, we see what happens. The report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and be healed of their diseases. It didn't matter. People were astonished at what Jesus was doing. So we've got this new intimacy, then this new instruction, which didn't really work that well. But then we see a new illumination. Jesus actually does something that illuminates an understanding of what spirituality really is and needs. And we understand this through our kind of discipleship process. It says Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer in 516. This new illumination is a recognition that we all need to recognize that when something big happens, sometimes you need to step back and you need to abide with Jesus for a little while. And by the way, if you haven't been abiding with Jesus through our new Daily Abide podcast, you need to. It's time unhurried with Jesus every single day. All of chapter 5 is a new proposition. New things are being given and new things are happening. If you know the story of the calling of Matthew or Levi as we first encounter him, Jesus is calling a tax collector. Now, if you know anything about the tax collectors, tax collectors were compromisers, right? They worked with the Romans to collect taxes. Um out of their own communities. So you can imagine why their friends weren't super happy with them, right? My bet is if you had a friend who decided to be a tax collector and every time you saw him, you were like, hey, Joe, great to see you again. He's like, great, I need 30%. Um, that, you wouldn't hang out with Joe very often. This is what's going on, right? He's working for the occupying, um, the occupying force that's there and he's making money off of his own people, and we see the story starting in Luke 5, 27. Later, as Jesus left town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. Right? This is a guy who capitulated to the systems of power that were around him. He's working for the occupying force. He's taxing his own people. Nobody liked him. Jesus says, follow me, be my disciple. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. That's a simple sentence. And I wonder, why was Jesus so compelling? What was Jesus offering? That he left his possessions, he left his profession, he left his prophets, he left his politics and his personal identity to follow Jesus. I think we need to linger here for a moment. Because a question you've got to ask yourself is what is it in your life that stands in the way of being a disciple of Jesus Christ? What is it, what structures, what values, what things do you have in your life that would stop you from getting up from your table and following Jesus today? We like to follow Jesus just fine, as long as it's not inconvenient. But when it becomes inconvenient, and we have to make some decisions about our life, how we're going to live our lives, not just what we're going to do, how we're going to behave or how we're going to be nice or not nice to people. Those are great conversations and great decisions to make, but they're relatively superfluous to how you're going to live, move, and be in the world for Jesus. But the story of Levi continues. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. 
Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. So to Levi, following Jesus meant more than wandering around the countryside just listening to this guy. Following meant using his influence and his skills for Jesus. And what we see is that Levi went from the tax table to the supper table. Levi left the tax table and invited people to the supper table with Jesus, telling others what Jesus had done for him. His repentance when he met Jesus did not lead to punishment, but it led to a banquet. I wonder, what did your repentance and salvation lead you to? Was it the burden of tradition or was it a party? Did you find freedom or did you find religion, right? If you know the word religion, it comes from the Latin word religare, which means to bind to, right? Your religion is what you've bound yourself to. Well, Jesus is proposing, and we'll get to it, but Jesus is proposing that there's new wine. So when you met Jesus, did you get new wine or did you get stale grape juice? Not only What did your repentance and salvation lead you to? But what have you done with that repentance and salvation? Did you become a disciple? Did you leave everything else that you had behind so you could focus fully on who Jesus is? Did you give yourself over? Did you experience something new? Was your life changed? Here's the thing. In this story, we're about to encounter some religious people who begin to ask a question of the disciples of Jesus. And they're asking their question from an old wine, old wineskin standpoint. And I've got to tell you, religion always asks why. When we find ourselves in a new relationship with Jesus, accepting the new wine, living differently, thinking differently, and making different decisions, the old wine will always ask why in the world would you want to do that? Right? Religion is really good at status quo. We're going to get back to this idea of status quo. That's all I'm going to say about it now. So just hang on to that. Here it comes. The Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain bitterly to Jesus' disciples. They're like, hey, why do you eat and drink with such scum? That's the New Living Translation. Other translations are kinder, mean the same thing. Right? Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Levi, Matthew, was considered a compromiser, right? And all the people around him were considered compromisers, sinners. They had bought into a political system that was oppressive. He chose politics and profession over religion. And then he chooses Jesus over politics and profession. And religion can't understand why. And so they're like, hey, how come you're having all this fun and we're not? Hey, Seventh-day Adventists. We're a group of people who wonders why other people get to have a lot of more fun than we do. We do. In fact, for years and years, people explain to you, they're like, oh, you're Seventh-day Adventist. What do you do? We never answer with the what we do. We answer with what we don't do. They're like, oh, well, we don't eat meat. It used to be we don't drink coffee, but then Crosswalk showed up. <laughs> I, listen, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. We don't go to movies. We all did, but we just didn't, right? We didn't. Um, Because we come from religion. How come they're having fun? They're like, we know Jesus. That's why we're having fun. And I love this text because they're they're like, why do you eat eat and drink with such scum? Like, why, why are you doing this? And Jesus has this teachable moment, right? Jesus like steps back. And in typical Jewish fashion, he cited a proverb to emphasize his message. 
Jesus answered them like this. Hey, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Wellness did not drive people to the doctor. Illness did. And he said, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Jesus did this misdirect, right? He turned the power structure on its head in one sentence. His salvation went beyond Israel. It went beyond faith. It went beyond tradition and it peddled itself in the street with those who needed it most. The gospel always goes to where it is good news. And so that's where it went. What is good news for a power structure? You see, things that change a power structure are never good news to that structure because it changes things. But the conversation continues. Um, and now in, in the New Living Translation, in the book of Luke, it sounds like we're on another day because it says one day, but it kind of feels like this is a continued conversation or it might be an amalgamation of a lot of different conversations that were had, but it's meant to be in one thought and in one um, kind of system of thought. So one day, and other translations say it differently, but one day some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly. So do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? This sounds like a question an Avenus would ask. I'm just, I know I'm sounding harsh. Like if I've gone too far, it's the first Sabbath of the year. Like we're, it's gonna be a long year if I've already gone too far. They're like, what? Why are you disciples always eating and drinking? Why are you guys having fun? I remember the, I may have told this story before. I remember the first time I went to Promise Keepers and it was painfully clear that we were Avenus, right? There's like 100,000 men worshiping God. And like the people from the charismatic world, they're like singing and dancing and we're all, so we don't really, you know, we don't, we don't do that. But we're not the only ones who don't do that. The Methodists were like, mm. we were kind of like, is that okay? The Methodists were like, wish I could do that. Probably can't, you know. The Baptists were like kind of judging. Um, the, we, you could tell the Adventists though, because they were like, like trying to figure, is any of this okay? Should I even be here? Right? And then there's always one guy in an Adventist group who's like been to a charismatic church and like will raise your hands and everyone's like, we're not with him. We don't, we don't, know, we don't know your language um, is what it feels like. Um, you know, Levi went from the tax table to the banquet table. He went from the grind to the party, from the binding to the freedom. He went from old wine to new wine. Jesus answers this question with three parables. The first one, is this. Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while, celebration, while, while celebrating with the groom? Of course not, right? We acknowledge the groom, but more, we acknowledge the new relationship that the marriage is going to bring. We find joy even in the trepidation of a new relationship. We step into it, but we are excited for the joy. And then he says, listen, someday the groom will be taken away and then they'll fast because fasting is valuable. As a spiritual discipline, fasting is something that does, you know, bring you to the foot of the cross, bring you to the feet of Jesus for sure. But not while Jesus is here. While Jesus is here, we're going to have a good time. We're going to party. We're going to have a church filled with laughter. We're going to have a church filled with joy. Because why not? Right? He said, then things will change, but not now. Then Jesus gave him another illustration. And he says, no one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. 
For then the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. Now, this may be hard for us to understand, partly because we live in a world of fast fashion, right? Our our clothes don't even wear out and we go and buy new clothes because it's a new season and it's a new fashion because some kid somewhere was wearing something different and now we all have to do it, right? That's essentially what fashion is. You know that, right? They just, somebody goes and says, that looks cool, puts it on a magazine or a website somewhere, and then we all go buy those same things. And then two years later, you can buy them at Target, right? And, and we throw away clothes that, are, that aren't, my parents bought a home in Michigan for my sister and her husband. Um, and as we were looking at the home, there were no closets. And so my sister asked the real estate agent, like, where are the closets, <laughs> And she's like, oh, no, this home was built in the 20s. They don't have any closets. And my sister was like, well, why not? And they said, because they had overalls for the farm, and they had a jacket they would wear over the overalls when they went to church. So there's a hook behind the door. (laughs) Some of you have walk-in closets that are bigger than my house. And I think I mentioned last week, someday I will have a walk-in closet too, but not today. Um, but we have so many clothes. So when we think about mending clothes, we're like, mm, that's, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Think about having to make your own clothes at times, or at least buying the fabric, then folding it and making it. And then when it gets a hole, you've got to fix that hole. This is, a, this is a common illustration that people would have understood, right? They certainly would have understood. But what Jesus is saying is if you fix the old cloth with the new cloth, it becomes a Frankenstein and it doesn't work and it doesn't look good. And I always think it's amazing that he's like, it wouldn't even match. You never thought about Jesus like, mm, that doesn't look good. Like, is he ever talking to Peter and like, Peter, different belt, man. Like, sorry, I understand that's getting weird. I'll stop. Um, but, but that's what he's saying. He's like, this is not going to work together. It's not going to be function. And then we get to the text, right? The text that we've built this whole series off of. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. This is the big illustration. And they all understood it because it was about wine. Wine was a commodity at the time, right? Um, Sometimes different cultures would even kind of hide the process of making wine so that wine was something very special. But the first question we have to ask ourselves, is this a story about wine or wineskins? And actually, it's a story of both. It's a really deep metaphor that Jesus puts together. Right? We're spending two solid weeks just breaking out this metaphor. But there's four elements in the story that we have to be aware of. Right? And the first one is old wine. By the way, do you know what old wine is? It's vinegar. Right? Everyone's like, we're avenous. We don't know what old wine is. We don't, we don't know. Tell us, sir. Um, it's weird. Um, going to be a weird year, I think. Um, so, so when my wife and I were first dating, I think we may be engaged. We, weren't, we were up at her parents' house, and we got on this long walk. It was really great. You know, you know those long walks you do when you're first in love, you know, and it never seems long enough? It's beautiful. Um, now I'm like, are we home yet? Um, <laughs> anyway, we get back. We're super thirsty. She, she opens up she opens up the refrigerator, she reaches in, grabs this big bottle of water, undoes the top, starts drinking it, and then, then throws it and is unable to breathe, speak, or make any, she's just, 
like this. And I don't, I'm not great in an emergency medically. I'm like, are you okay? Which she's, her face is getting red like she's going to explode. I'm like, are you okay? Are you okay? That's all I did. Um, then she starts coughing and she's like, that wasn't water. That was vinegar. She'd taken this massive swill of vinegar. Well, like, what a shock, right? Vinegar's not great. Um, and, and the old wine we're talking about, and the old wine used in this illustration, we're not talking about like, that's an old vintage, like it comes from, you know, 1736 and this bottle is $23,000. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about bad wine, bad old wine, right? And um, so, so this is, you know, we can, we can actually stomach some vinegar. I'm on a little bit of a health kick right now. I'm not going to lie. So Instagram knows and is delivering way too much advice to me. Which, by the way, don't trust any of it. Because one's like, don't eat eggs. The next one's like, eat 10 eggs. It's exhausting. Eating like 30 eggs a day because they keep telling you to. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop doing this now. I'm just going to preach the sermon. If that's all right. Um, but, but uh, you know, we can drink a little vinegar. It's actually not bad for us. A little bit. If you drink too much, you're going to get sick. So we've got old wine. But then we've got old wineskins. That's another element right? Old wineskins, dry, cracked, brittle, relatively delicate. They're kind of a problem waiting to happen. You pour new wine into them and they can't take it. Why? Because there's a chemical process that happens with new wine as it ferments and it begins to expand and old, cracked, dry, and brittle wineskins cannot expand. They just break, right? They're not supple. They can't accommodate the chemical processes that are inherent to new wine. By the way, the only thing you can do with an old wineskin is just kind of protect it from breaking. In this story, Jesus is likening the old wineskin to an old religion. Is your old religion only good for defending? Like we hear these words all the time, right? I'm defending our faith, protecting our faith. All of this language is a recognition that our wineskin is pretty vulnerable. It's not flexible, it's not pliable, it's rigid, it's cracking, and it's becoming of little use. Luke 5.38 says, new wine must be stored in new wineskins. So that's the third element, right? A new wineskin, pliable, flexible, and ready to expand and even contract a little as the need requires it. It's solid, it's safe, and it, we don't need to treat it with kid gloves. So we've got... Old wine, old wineskins, new wineskin, and then, of course, new wine. So what is new wine? Well, it's simple. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a new way of looking at salvation, a new revelation of God through Jesus, and a new and improved understanding of our place in the universe. It is the unmitigated favor and love of God. New wine is good news particularly for the sinner, for the ones looking for salvation, for those in need of a savior. But the text continues. He doesn't stop there. And this is fascinating to me. He says, but you know what? No one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. They say, nah, the old wine is just fine. Jesus is insightful here, but he's not just insightful. He's actually cutting deep. He reminds them that they're not really interested in what he has to offer. He's, they're not really interested in new wine or a new wineskin because they like the old wine and the old wineskin, even if the old wine turned to vinegar. 
No one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Old power structures built on human wisdom and old wine and human control will not work. God's new wine, his new system is the only thing that will work. Listen, we're fine with things being just fine. It's fascinating that that's the way they translated the text. The old is just fine. I've been married for 28 years. If I say, if I ask my wife a question and say, hey, how was that something she went to? And she goes, it was fine. I'm not like, wow, we should do that again. <laughs> right? You know what she's saying. This is what Jesus, the old is just fine. We're often great with things staying the way we like it. We like the status quo. Do you know why we like the status quo? We like the status quo because it gives us status. That's why we don't want things to change. Right? I can't tell you how many churches I've worked with who say, we want change, we want change. I'm like, okay, then you've got to change some things. And they're like, well, that seems like a lot. We don't want anything to change. We just want everything to be new. You don't get new without change. You don't get to mix new and old together. You either get new or you stay the same. Why would anyone even want old wine and old wineskin? And that's what you've got to ask yourself. Are you uncomfortable with new wine and new, new wineskin? Are you so comfortable with what's old that all you want to do is preserve it? What are you defending? Has vinegar become so comfortable to you that you would rather have it than the new wine that is being offered? In fact, has the gospel ceased to be good news to you because it threatens the status quo in your life? It's amazing what people can become comfortable with. This series, there's kind of two tracks that I want you to think about. One is the personal religion, faith in my personal life, the discipleship journey, right? Am I willing to allow God to pour new wine into me? And am I, am I the kind of vessel, am I kind of wineskin that can accept new wine and all the, all the chemical processes that are gonna happen and the way the Holy Spirit moves? Am I pliable enough? Will I change? Will I move? Can I do that? Because if you know you're not a new wineskin, don't ask for the new wine yet. It's gonna destroy you. That's the one way I want you to think about this series. The next way I want you to think about this series is corporately, is us as a church. Is Crosswalk a new wine church or is it an old wineskin church? And it's a fair question because we get people coming in all the time going, hey, I want to see what you're doing. It seems to be working. This is really great. What do you, how do your lights work? How do, your, how do you do your audio? How do you do your coffee? And I'm like, those are the wrong questions. We can teach you all that, but those are the wrong questions. You're only asking wineskin questions. You're not asking wine questions. But I'm avenous, so I don't say it that way. You see, you're not asking the right questions. Because you may come because you like some of the things that we do and you like the wineskin and it's comfortable, but you don't stay for the wineskin. You stay for the wine. And so we've got to be a new wine church. So I want you to think about those two things throughout this series. What does this mean for me personally? What does this mean for us corporately? And I guess the question we can ask today is simply this. 
Is God willing to bring new wine out of you? And are you willing to accept that new wine that he has for you? Or are you comfortable with just drinking the old wine and being an old wineskin? What do you want to be? And what do you want from Jesus? Because he said he's willing to offer you new wine. But you know what? He knows that you liked the old stuff. You're comfortable with it. Makes sense. Keeps everything the same. Status quo. Holy Spirit's not going to do so much. Because we're not going to let him. We're not going to listen. So you've got to decide. We're going to talk about this for five weeks. Which is not nearly enough time to talk about what God can do and is doing. But today, just think about wine and wineskins and where you want to be. Let's bow our heads. Lord of the harvest, you're a God who, uh, who seems that you're okay with messing with the status quo, with turning things around, with changing things. And that's going to hit us personally at some point if we're willing to change or if we're just too comfortable having the status that the status quo gives us. And Lord, when we ask for the new wine, I feel like you're going to ask us the question back, are you ready? Are you pliable? Are you flexible? Or are you dry and cracked? So Lord, we want the new wine, but prepare us. Make us the vessels that you need us to be so that new wine can pour out of us, not because it's being lost, but because it's being used. Pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.